0: You wish upon a star Now we want you to share with us our latest and greatest dream Disneyland Just go to Action Park, there's no other park like it Six Flags Great Adventure, it's not a world away
1: Paramount's Kings Island We will officially open Universal Studios Florida Hello, I'm Michael Eisner Now, here is your host. Hello, and welcome back to the Defunctland Podcast. My name is Kevin Perger. Today is a very special episode of the podcast for a few reasons. First of all, this is the end of Season 2 of the Defunctland Podcast. I know all of you care very deeply about how these are organized, um, but the first season had 20 episodes, and the second season currently has 19, and this will be the 20th episode. Also, I know that the Defunctland Podcast has been... Ah, uh, very delayed. I mean, not really delayed because there's nothing to delay. But it's been very uh, non-normal for the past year or so, um, and that's because I've been very busy doing a lot of Defunctland stuff. Um, you know, we've done a lot this year, a ton actually. We, you know, we did the Jim Henson series this summer. We finished Defunctland season two. We've done a bunch more Defunct TV. We've started Defunctland Season Three. I mean, all very, very big projects. I mean, we started the Defunct Defunctland Archives. If you don't know about that, go to defunctland.com and check out our archives. Um, started Themed Alternative, which is a bunch of where I put you know skits and music and all sorts of stuff that you know creatively and themed entertainment. So if you haven't checked out that, go to the YouTube channel Themed Alternative to get some very niche uh, theme park stuff. Um, But we've done a lot, and so the podcast has taken a back seat, and I apologize to those of you that really love it. So I thought, you know what? We're coming up on the 20th episode. I might as well do full stop, do this one episode, and then we'll bring it back in its full glory. And for the rest of February, this is February 2020, um, I'm excited to announce that after this one, there will be four new episodes this month to kick off Defunct Lands third season of its podcast, the Land podcast season three. And now that we're in the Funkland season three, we're also in the podcast season three, which works out nicely. Um, and to kick off that, those four interviews have already been recorded and they're with four former Imagineers all doing very different jobs. at very different times within the theme, uh, within the park's history. So look forward to that. If you like the interviews with Imagineers, you're in for a real treat. Um, because I got some just incredible interviews. And so those are coming very soon. One will actually be coming within the next few days. But to cap off season two of the defunct land podcast, I figured we might as well do one more episode, bring it to a full twenty. And um I would have all of you interview me. So on my Twitter and on my Facebook, I asked you if you had any questions about the production of Defunct land or anything I could answer about, Uh, My own personal taste in theme parks is if you don't get enough of that already, as well as, you know, how Defunct Land's made or, you know, what the future of it looks like, all those wonderful things. And so I thought, let's do it. But then I thought, I can't do this alone because that'd be super awkward. So I thought, you know, who is amazing, talented, good looking, uh, has a smooth voice enough to be a co-host, someone that can interview me in place of me interviewing me a voice of the people and that is uh Jack from Park Ride history. Jack, thanks for coming on.
0: Yes, I am. All of those things.
1: Yeah, thanks so much for coming on. How are how are you doing?
0: I feel great. I'm uh, glad to be here. And uh we're really bringing it full circle at end of uh what do you say season 2. Yeah. And
1: I was there for the very
0: beginning of season 1, so
1: Jack was our first guest it's, and it was such a magical episode. It's poetic. That was uh, it was very special, so I'm glad we could have you back on. Um, for this but uh this time you're going to be asking me questions so i guess we can just get to it and we'll just let the conversation go but i gave you a list of some questions that my uh, audience asked me so go ahead and read the name and read the question you can pick any of them just these are
0: actually all my questions but i'm going to use assumed names for them okay just so we're <laughs> on the same page. okay yeah gotcha well the first question is from rose weldon and that is what theme park centric YouTubers do you wish you could get a little more, or do you wish you'd get more, a little more attention? I think I should do that again.
1: Okay. You could, you can, I'm going to keep that in. Yeah. Okay.
0: <laughs> uh, I just, for, for the record. Okay. This one is from Rose Weldon. What theme park centric YouTubers do you wish could would get a little more
1: attention? Wow. Good question. I would say if I had to pick two, um, I would say because I love the number two I would say Vincent Vision makes some of the most unique vlog content I've ever seen and it's really yes. really fun definitely go check out Vincent and number two Jack from Park Ride History who is has, that? that is, I, that's what that's what people always say when I say that but I think they should go check you out um, because you, uh, you have some great content man keep Epcot weird that's my favorite thing well we're definitely going to keep keeping Epcot weird so Keep keeping Epcot weird. That's great. Yes. So, yeah, no, I think you should definitely go check out Vincent Vision and Jack from Park Ride History.
0: Yes, I do endorse Vincent as well. Very high quality stuff. I've seen just about every video of his. Yeah, he's great. All right. For the next question, we have Wesley Schreiner and apologize if I get uh, anybody's name pronunciation wrong. I, I, I'm i not too good with any of that stuff. Wesley Schreiner says, Kevin, I would like to know how you met Dan slash Rob and how the three of you get along. Get along so well as well as what made you interested in defunct theme parks
1: that's a great question wesley is that right yeah yeah um so uh dan and i were i think dan i saw him doing i saw him after his a few of his first videos and i can't remember if he reached out to me or i reached out to him and we just said i love your work and then we said we should do something together um because i want to do a defunct costumed character one and then we worked on that video and it was super fun And then we ended up just getting to know each other and kept talking. Um, And then eventually we met up for the first time in March of 2018. Um, And it was super fun. Uh, Rob, I think the first time we actually interacted was we did like, I asked him, like, let's do a debate because we disagreed with each other on so many things. And then we ended up, you know, just becoming, uh, you know, friends and collaborators. Uh, What was the second part to this question? The second part of that was, uh, what made you interested in defunct theme parks? I, I, can, I can remember going, and I think the thing that I always say when I'm asked this question is I, I remember those old books, they used to, Disney used to release these souvenir packages, and one of them was called Walt Disney World, like Then, Now, and Forever, which is very uh, ominous, um, but I think that's what it was called. And it had all these past attractions in there, and it blew my mind. I was like, oh my gosh. There used to be things in these buildings because you you assume there was, but you never really had seen it spelled out. Okay. Our next question is from DJ
0: Guthrie, and that is, what episode are you most proud of and least proud of?
1: So, what episode am I both most proud of and least proud of? (laughs) I think I think it's two separate episodes. Yes. Okay. Yeah. yeah. That makes more sense. Um, You got to clarify these things for me, Jack. What do you? I'm just saying that's that's not my question. okay so what episode am i most proud of um I'm very proud of Walt's Field Day I'm very proud of uh Disney's America I'm very proud of almost I mean every episode there's no episode that I'm if you looked at my least episode to my most episode I would probably go it would probably be pretty much in order of release the ones I'm least proud of are the ones that were released longer and the ones I'm most proud of were released more recently do you yeah, feel the same way
0: about yours? Yeah, that's pretty standard. I mean, <clears throat> that's pretty standard just the way that you kind of content evolves and gets better and the more ambitious you get too. I mean, some of these newer ones very long and obviously just higher quality. So I think that's pretty pretty normal.
1: I can tell you which one was the least well received. <laughs> which one? Uh the Eastern Airlines video. That did not go over well at all. I thought was it was it-
0: Poorly received in the reaction, or just who like view counts being down?
1: Oh, view counts were fine, actually. No, it was it, reaction was very poor. Hmm. They thought the Disney connection, the the park connection, was very weak. Yeah, which I thought it was pretty strong. But what are you gonna do? It was Disney's official airline. Got to experiment. Uh, I did start the video with like the history of the airplane, but it was important. To the to the airline industry. Wouldn't you say? Yeah.
0: I, I I would have assumed, you know, maybe pretzel dark rides was the uh least best you know, best reception. But
1: Wow, man. okay. What are you gonna a, do? I
0: Deep mean cuts.
1: Pretzel dark rides. Back when we did we I thought it was okay to release four minute episodes.
0: Look at you now.
1: Yeah. I can't I can't go below twenty minutes, and back then I was like, Oh, f- how am I supposed to make this thing into five minutes? <laughs> it's the cold open now five minute cold open two minute intro 40 minute body five minute outro back then i was like what am i supposed to do for five minutes
0: crazy i feel like everybody's videos got longer all right Alyssa crenshaw asks what's one theme park food item you'd like to see brought back and one that you'd like to see become defunct it can be specific to a park or just a general one.
1: I want the blue mayonnaise from Cosmic Rays back. And That's the, a good choice. the there was some other stuff they had there, some like purple ketchup or something. Remember was this? That,
0: was that was that there? Or was that just like a nineties thing? I've seen the packaging, and it's you know.
1: Well, they had it there. Okay, and, well, and uh, that makes sense. who knew ketchup could be purple? They did. They figured it out. They cracked the code.
0: The future figured it out. Yeah.
1: We have the technology. Um, so, yeah, no, I, I would I would bring that back. I think that's very spacey. I think that fits perfectly within the 90s space aesthetic because that was so much about when they were trying to do, like, let's make a tomorrow that will never come because it's just impossible. And so we're going to have an alien encounter and a robot time traveler that looks like Robin Williams, and we're going to have different colors of ketchup and... That that really sold it. I just felt that whole thing was so cheesy on purpose, so it never dated itself, that it ended up dating itself incredibly fast. You're saying which food would I want to become defunct?
0: Yeah, I guess which one is not up to snuff that needs to go away.
1: Not up to snuff, eh? Is
0: is there anything that you overtly hate? I feel like you can kind of avoid... Uh, foods, more than yeah, you can foods like, avoid is, bad attractions, so it's yeah. not like, oh, I need to see that go away.
1: I would say, um, Dole Whip, what? Yeah, I don't like Dole Whip that
0: much. Um, but wanting it to go away is like, but I also is, like to gonna see gonna be an uprising.
1: I know that's what I want. Oh, I'm choosing this because it wouldn't affect me, but I know it would affect others.
0: Yeah, that would be. Don't let them know you're to blame, man.
1: Yeah, the uh, I <laughs> that was probably the most evil thing I've ever said in my life. <laughs> <laughs> I, I know this won't affect me, but I want it to affect others. Um, but yeah, no, I am not a huge fan of Dole Whip, as anyone that's read my book can attest to. Um, but I I I don't my I don't. It's not that I don't like it. It's just it gets so much hype, and it's just not that good. And I like I like me some pineapple, and I love me some ice cream. But if you had if you had to tell me like any day you could I could pay either for a uh, Dole Whip or I could pay for a Virgin Pina Colada at the at Trader Sam's at Disneyland Hotel, you know which one I'm going with because that Pina Colada is magic. I don't know how they make that Pina Colada so good, but it is magic, Jack.
0: It's Disney magic. It's Disney magic, Jack. And I can attest to this guy not liking Dole whips. When we did the Christmas party, I wanted to go get—I think it was a was it coconut or maybe pineapple Dole whip because that was seasonal—and could not, it couldn't happen. Yeah, he didn't right. even want to get within earshot of the place. The guy no, was, yeah, I was so—I like, oh, was so—I was listen.
1: on the other side of the park. What can I do? <laughs> All right. What's what's All my right. next question?
0: Next up, we've got Josh McNamara, who says, We group watched the first episode again and were commenting on the evolution of the editing from that to uh, where you are now. I'm curious as to when you knew you wanted to expand the team to include researchers and more refined editing. Was this always the hope you had for the channel?
1: So I talked a little bit about this question on the Facebook group, but um, I'm going to walk a very thin line between... um, Giving my team members credit and making sure that I also get my credit because I edit all the videos and I do all of the research for the Defunct Line episodes. Typically, you can wa- you can read the credits; everybody's credited. So, um, the the question, and I think the, the I think was it Josh that commented this. Yes, um, we we talked a little bit and uh, about this, but uh, no. So like the the reason that the episodes were bad were not bad, but the reason the episodes were very not well edited, which people like as kind of, which is it's, it's, it's that magic that you can't recreate. You know what I mean? It's just that it's, it was such a new thing for people that hadn't gone down that rabbit hole yet or people that had, and just loved seeing it in video form. And it felt so homely and so people want that old editing style back. They're like, "Oh, I love that old with the captions and the shorter videos, or in the and you know they they think they want that back, and um, and maybe they do. But I think r- the real reason people are nostalgic now for the, my show about nostalgia, which is very ironic, by the way. Um, I think the reason they're nostalgic for that is because it was at a time where the community was so small, and I was, whenever somebody." suggested something i would take their suggestion and make a video on it because i was the only person that suggested something that week like that that kind of very small and fun and new kind of idea now the market's more saturated and now i make videos for a wider audience and now i can't do everybody's suggestion because it's logistically impossible and the episodes are longer and the episodes are more for everybody and sometimes less about the niche or sometimes they're too niche in a different direction i don't even know if i'm saying niche correctly niche niche whatever um niche niche I always go niche niche it's probably you're probably right I'm just Midwest so I pronounce everything incorrectly that's got the thing it. that's the thing about Midwestern is we don't have an accent but we pronounce everything incorrectly um like foliage um is that
0: wrong I thought it was pronounced like that
1: it's either that or foliage
0: oh it's got to be foliage it can't be foliage
1: I don't know which one it is I just know I pronounced it wrong once we're and it, uh, gonna
0: go foliage here that's okay. how we're doing it
1: okay new rule foliage. So these old videos on the channel were so we're at such a different time and I miss it too. I miss when the community was that small. I don't miss a lot of it because it was like, oh, I'm making I'm doing a lot of work for not a lot of payoff here, but I miss when it was like that small because it's just, you know, it's it's fun to remember that stuff. But the reason the episodes got better is because more people started watching them. So I think the the common misconception and I appreciate it. And I'm sure this is a, a, the, true to a certain extent is people like, look, I've, I love seeing you grow as a creator, seeing how, you know, kind of rough the editing was in the first few episodes to now where you're doing these 40 minute episodes and they're very, you know, refined and, and well edited. I love seeing you grow as a creator. And I'm, I'm I, ha- I am growing as a creator as everybody grows as an artist. Um, but I think it's more the, 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 a lot of that transition comes from, I love, instead of, I love seeing you grow as a creator is I love seeing you care about this more and put more of your effort into it. Um, because before when I was making videos for zero people, then I would make, uh, I was like, whatever, you know, I'm just doing this for fun, doing this, you know, for me. And then I would do videos for a thousand people and I'm like, okay, now I got to put some effort into this. And now that I'm making videos for at least 200,000 people per video, yeah, I mean, I'm just putting a lot more of my effort. So it's not like that ability, that editing ability or research ability or talent ability wasn't there. It's just that I wasn't putting it to use because I was also working on other film projects and I still do every now and then. But back then I wasn't focused on this. This was like auxiliary. This was just a fun like side project that turned into something incredible and I'm very thankful and grateful for that. So yes, I have grown as a creator. I have become a much better researcher. I think a much better editor, but also a lot of that big transition that occurred between, you know, the, uh, those first few episodes and then maybe a little bit into like season, the beginning of season two, especially that came for me, just a transition in mindset rather than a formal training that I received between then and now or something of that matter. Um, and same with research. It's, uh, I've always had the ability to research, but now I know where to look. Um, so that's actually probably been Mm -hmm. something that, has actually gotten better because of the effort I put into it. So the editing, yes, of course, you practice something for hours and hours, you're going to get better naturally. Um, but the editing was a lot of turning my attention to. But the research, I was a really good researcher, you know, as far as like normal people, as far as researchers go, I'm sure I'm, I'm low, to, low to bad. But as far as like, you know, normal uh, video editors go, I was probably pretty good at doing uh, scholarly or uh, scholarly adjacent as theme parks are research. Um, but it's not, it doesn't mean I knew where to look because I could search, you know, JSTOR or whatever, you know, catalog I decided to subscribe to all I wanted and I could read a thousand critical essays, but that's not what I was looking for. I needed to get all these subscriptions to newspaper archives and get, and, you know, figure out who to trust within, uh, within the voices and who to, you know, be a little bit skeptical of. And, you know, that came with, of course, time. I don't know, Jack, do you feel the same way?
0: Yeah, um, I mainly relate to the part where just knowing where to look, like if you look at, I'm sure it's the same with you, if you look at some of my old videos, they're very kind of formatted around what's the surface level information you can find by looking into stuff without going really deep. But once you kind of exist in that world of researching for a long time, you, you kind of know what websites are, are, are good to look at for history and what to cross-reference to make sure things are accurate and also to get these really obscure pieces of uh, information that you can kind of insert throughout that. But So, yeah, that does just come with time and doing it and, and having experience in, in the world of researching these, uh, these weird theme park topics.
1: Yeah, so absolutely, I would agree with that 100% because it's what I just said. Yeah. Um... <laughs>
0: Is well,
1: I mean, I, 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 but that's your perspective. It's my perspective, but it's also your perspective.
0: We can share perspectives.
1: What's the next question? So, and as far as the team goes, uh, the reason I had a team members on was because you know some work. At first, it was just like, oh, I, I could use an extra hand here and there. I had some people write some episodes, and it started off where I wasn't paying people because I wasn't profiting all that much off the videos to begin with. And then, as I started to make you know more money from these videos and Patreon, especially, I was like, okay, let's start you know paying these people. Now it's to the point where I'll have people reach out and say like, hey, I'd love to you know research for you. Um, I'll do it for free. And I'm like, I'm not, no, <laughs> I don't, I don't, I don't, I have not in need of any uh, free work right now. Like you know, I I don't, I I don't want someone to necessarily reach out and say, I'll do it for free because I'm like, well, I have the ability to pay and I'm going to be making money off of this. So I think it'd be in everybody's best interest that you get paid. It's not like I can pay a, you know, an incredible, like, you know, TV network amount, but, you know, I feel like I was like, okay, I mean, I feel like a decent amount. um, And definitely um, fair given off of, you know, the work of the episode that's put in. So this is for, I'm mainly talk about researchers right now. And then I've worked with like Heath Jenkins and John Lagerholm and some other editors. And video editing is a whole nother beast because everybody has their own style. Same with writing. Writing is the same way in style, but editing is, writing style is, it's impossible to write for my voice. Kristen Beale, my, one of my main writers right now, is very good at it now. Uh, she gets very close, but it's just impossible. Uh, video editing, though, is the same way where it's you have to edit to my style. Um, but style is in editing is so uh, subtle. It's so much different. I uh, I say this and I don't know if this is true. I just say it sometimes. Um, but I would say uh, so art is subjective. But of all the arts, film is the least. Like we are so used to seeing uh, abstract paintings and illustrations and abstract music and even like abstract writing with poetry but we are not used to seeing abstract film like i've seen plenty of experimental films but very few people have our like our understanding of experimental film like as as a mainstream audience is like, wow, did you know like Birdman's in one shot or like Blair Witch Project looks like somebody filmed it themselves? Like, yeah, it's or, still, or yeah,
0: something that's just weird, you know, like, oh, dude, did you see a racer head? And it's like, oh, okay, I, yeah, but yeah, I think that's probably because it is such a visual medium and because it needs to reflect reality like that, it's not pure audio or something that's just like, you know, a painting or anything like that,
1: yeah. And it's and because it combines so many mediums, and more than that, I would say it's so streamlined. It's so commercial. It's so palatable and everyone understands film language because I could show you an art piece and unless it's like, you know, I could show you like an abstract art piece and you couldn't tell me if it was good or bad. I couldn't tell you if it was good or bad. And, you know, you could do that with a lot of things, but, you know, music even like if you don't know anything about music, you don't know how to make music. You don't know how to describe music. And I played you a good song and a bad song. You know, you might be able to say if you like it or not, but you won't be able to point stuff out. But with film, we're so used to those conventions more so than I think any other medium. And I'm kind of just talking, you know, out of my brain right now. So I could be totally wrong, but this is just how I see it from what, in my experiences, I just, we are so used to a certain editing style, a certain narrative that we don't get to see editing in the same way. So editors like, you know, trying to get Heath or trying to get John to match my editing style, it's, it's kind of like you know, whenever I'm, you know, training them in quotation marks, I'm not trying to say like, hey, you're editing wrong. I'm just saying, hey, this is my style. And so once you kind of, once both of them caught on to the style, because I would have to just repeat, you know, the style throughout the video, it was smooth sailing. Um, but it's, it's a very fascinating, I think, process for me to, because to just try, try to describe film style and language, is one of the more difficult things to do in general, I would say, um, in 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 terms of film production, because you know on on all on all forms of film production, whether it be on live action sets or um, or screenwriting, um, th- those types of things, the uh, there is kind of a code of conduct or there's a, a language for it. At least I'm not aware because I've never went through the apprentice assistant editor editor in the industry sense that uh, there isn't as much of a common editing style course, if that makes sense. There's no language to easily say, hey, you know, this is how fast my zooms are and this is how long each, you know, frame should be before we move on. Like stuff like that that nobody ever thinks about whenever you're training somebody else to do it becomes very clear. And it's, it's an enlightening process for both people. The reason I did this is because I I realized very quickly that if I'm going to be making these longer episodes and I'm going to make them to my quality is I need to get people involved and eventually, you know, through, you know, getting people on and then eventually having the ability to pay them and eventually finding some people that I really, really liked and trusted to do good work. We created Defunct TV with Heath in the summer of 2018 Um, and then Heath left because he went back to college and then um, we then I, you know, kind of got, and then I got John to do some, do, do some episodes and I've been working with John ever since. Uh, and so it's really nice cause I'll have Kristen, write, I'll narrate and then John will do the episode, I'll do the editing for the episode. And so this whole time I'm watching each process, I'm, I'm rewriting the Kristen script to be more in my voice or to add a little bit more research. I'm making sure John's edit matches my style, but I also give them, I think some creative, uh, control in their own right to, uh, to let them flex their artistic talents. Um, so, but what that does is I that even though I have my hand in it and I have my final seal of approval on every step of the process, the time commitment is very limited, um, which is very good. So uh, yeah. So that allows me to sometimes if I need to release two or three episodes in a month, I can do two or I can do one and then I'll have another that's basically going to be done and all I have to do is kind of go in there and and punch it up and make sure it looks good. Especially with Defunct TV because Defunct TV is so much... It's so much less, I think, narrative than Defunct Land. And Defunct TV Jim Henson is a totally different story because that was something that I edited and I did most of the writing for. Kristen wrote the first treatment and John helped edit 10 minutes of Muppet show and then two minutes of Fraggle rock uh, or three minutes. I don't know how long it was of Fraggle rock, but I did the entire edit for all of those. And I did all the visual effects and all that stuff. And uh, I I collaborated with a lot of people, but that was so much of my time being put into that because it's so much more narrative. And that's not to say that I don't trust, you know, John or Kristen or any, or Heath or any of these people with narratives. It's just, if I'm going to be putting out a narrative that is very heavy and themes and tones, I just like to be a part of it, and I like to make sure my voice is coming through um, as, a, as an artist or as a creator or whatnot versus something like, you know, Ubi or Welcome to Pooh Corner where they're very fun and they have a story and they have characters and they have heart and they have, you know, events, but it's not the same. Does that make sense? Totally. Yeah, it's just not the, it's not the same... Uh, what's the word? Stakes, I guess. When there's higher stakes, I just feel more... I feel as though more people need to be involved or I need to be involved more. And that's where a lot of, and I just find it more enjoyable in that sense. And I find, but then every once in a like I wrote Ubi, that was fun. You know, I like going back and writing those episodes because they're just, they're just fun little episodes that make you feel good. You know, you're not going to watch Ubi to hear me talk about how bad Ubi was, you know, but you, if you click on superstar limo, I think you, you kind of know what you're getting yourself into or like the failure of Hong Kong Disneyland. You, that's not going to be a feel good episode. So a lot, a lot more involved writing there, I guess. Okay. Yeah, I think that answered that. Yeah, very
0: extensively. yes.
1: Yeah, so, right. yeah, sorry, Jack. How are you doing?
0: I feel great. No, I'm just here to, I don't, we don't need to get too much out of me. I'm just here to, you know, help with the, uh, the banter and whatnot. So, well, our next question comes from Dave Pollack, who says, how are you able to locate all the early footage and history? Does it take quite a bit of searching?
1: Yes, it's in, to, to find old footage is very, very difficult and fun as long as you're not on a deadline because then it becomes very stressful. So footage is a lot more fun to edit than photos. Photos get very, very old very, very quickly in an edit. So I can show you a photo for at max. I can show you a photo where you're looking at the whole photo For like at max about eight seconds before you get bored. So I can show you a like a map where I zoom in and then go to different parts of the map for probably around, you know, 30 seconds before you get bored if I'm actually going from one section of the picture to another. But with the videos, depending on what the video is, you can string that thing out for minutes and you'll never get bored because things are moving and things are happening. The camera's changing. So if you can find videos, it's all, always better. And it's just more immersive. You feel like you're a part of it. You feel like you're in it, especially with these nostalgia based shows or even the things that are in the past, you know, getting to be there adds to that. If you weren't there, it feels like you were. And so by the end, that emotional payoff is so much greater because you felt like you had ridden this thing or you'd been to this park or you had been a part of this experience. Um which is actually a reason that doing the new episodes for Defunct Land Season 3 have been so hard is because I've had to replace a very easy narrative of ride starts, ride ends, aren't you sad now? It's a very simple narrative with a very strong emotional core because people love these attractions, right? And I've had to basically remove that. And because, you know, nobody remembers the Great Exhibition of 1851, unfortunately, or the Columbian Exposition of 1893. And I've had to do a totally different thing. And there also is no footage for that. But as far as footage goes, I find myself often, if I really can't find anything, which is not a good sign. um, But if I can't find anything in the initial Google search, what it's time to do is if it's like, let's say it's a ride from Disneyland that existed from 1959 to 1964. I will type in Disneyland 1959 8 footage. And then I will just sit there for hours and watch all of this footage of Disneyland. In 1959 of this person, their eight millimeter footage, because a lot of people treat YouTube as a cloud based drive Mm -hmm. to where they upload their photos and share them with their friends. And they don't necessarily, whether they intend to or not, they're basically adding to an archive of videos, you know, but it's all within fair use that I'm using these things. Completely within my co- within the copyright bounds of like you know this is I'm talking about this specific subject and this footage yeah. is
0: and obviously they're they're public if they were private you wouldn't be able to find them in the first place
1: right exactly and that's another reason that you know it's much easier to to justify using these things um, is because they put them out there for the public to see regardless of the the ethics and legal uses of fair use um, a lot of people just put stuff on YouTube. Um, just, just to put it out there, which is really nice. Thank you for doing that. People that do that, but you know, they don't label it. They don't say like, Oh, at 11 53 in this two hour video, there's a, there's a shot of America sings, but there is, mm-hmm. and I would have never known that if I wouldn't have watched it.
0: Yeah. There's a lot of little hidden gems. I usually come across people just like, uh, you know, VHS recording their vacations. You can get some Really quick shots of like stuff that isn't there anymore and, and, and things no one would think to just film and upload as like a standalone video. Uh, you know, so especially keep Epcot weird stuff, you know, like you can get a shot of a walk around character they don't have anymore that someone filmed for 30 seconds while they were walking by, but no one's gonna upload that. It's just like, oh, dude, did you see this robot they got roaming around? The-? Like, no one cared, but so yeah, that is a pretty effective way to find footage like that.
1: That's usually what you have to do. Um, I, I guess I'll ask you a question. What's the weirdest place you found footage? Um,
0: I think the weirdest place I found footage was like, uh, I was on some conspiracy website once and, uh, and they had for whatever reason, they had a whole bunch of uh, vintage Disneyland, like uh, I don't even want to say like home movies, but like 1967, you know how they filmed things back then it was all professional if you had a camera back then it was like you know you knew what you were doing with it but for whatever reason it's just this shaky cam footage of someone walking around an attraction in like and you can tell it's one of the old cameras and just like filming parts of it it's like what and there's the fact that it was on a conspiracy theory website it was a very bizarre experience to come across that and i didn't even end up using it because it didn't fit with the video but that was probably the strangest thing i found
1: I think my weirdest thing was my uh, Michael Eisner, the end footage of Michael Eisner of season two, which I really love. And I don't know if people, I think people look, I, I, I don't want to give myself so much credit, but I feel as though I almost, I kind of helped to change the narrative around Michael Eisner after I also kind of created a narrative around Michael Eisner. Um, so Michael Eisner, became kind of a meme i guess and i don't think it's just because of me but i do think i had a large part of it large hand in it i know james stewart did a lot of it with disney war but i don't think that was a huge hit among the memesters um i think it was more the intellectuals and that read the new york times that he writes for uh but uh i know i made you know a few episodes probably like 30 on michael eisner and uh and made him into kind of a joke and then and the end of season two, I kind of redeemed him in a way. Not really, but you know, I, I don't, have you seen Hong Kong Disneyland episode, Jack?
0: Oh, uh, no, I didn't. If you're referring to the end, I haven't seen that either.
1: If you're, oh, okay. You haven't seen, you haven't seen it? No, I didn't. Finish so it. at the end of this episode, it's okay. So at the end of the episode, I basically re, not redeemed, but I, I have, I pulled this quote where I basically, the, the whole point was the mix between business and creativity is messy. And if you lean too heavily on business, then you're going to hurt creativity. And if you lean too heavily on creativity, you might not get business. That was a whole point of, you know, it, it was a lot in season one, but especially in season two, where we saw this transition between let's do something creative to let's do something that's good for the business. And what they realize is you're in the business of creativity. It's an extremely, extremely complex process. But Michael Eisner preached creativity so much in his career that he kind of forgot about it towards the end. And then he remembered it again, and he, there's this footage of him giving this, I don't know if it was like a speech to a business or a commencement speech or something, um, or maybe this is something completely different that I'm thinking of. Oh, never mind, sorry. That footage was weird to find too, the one that I mentioned now. I remember that being somewhere weird, like some weird university site, or maybe some weird university YouTube channel, but uh, or some business conference. But the weirdest one was I needed footage of when they were throwing eggs at, and I think they showed this in the Imagineering story. Um, but I need the footage before they have the imagineering story of them throw of them throwing eggs at Scrooge McDuck and Michael Eisner at the stock, uh, stock brokers meeting uh, for Disneyland Paris. which by the way, why would you bring Scrooge McDuck to a stockholders meeting? Um, <laughs> that's a terrible idea. Anyways, so we move on to um me trying to find this footage. So I'm trying to find this footage, and I find it. It's on some weird business conference site where Michael is giving like one of his probably million dollar presentations on business and he has the footage somewhere in his personal collection and he showed it and it was the worst quality of all time and i was like gotta get this down but it was just a weird like random business seminar he gave where he turned he said and here's me when we opened disneyland paris and then he turned he was like no i really thought uh it would it would get a lot better than that and something yeah and so it was some there was some weird lesson in it but i found the footage so whatever anyways what was the next question all right Next question comes from
0: James J. Ruth. When it comes to lost media, what piece of history, whether it's a show, movie, etc., are you hoping is most rediscovered? So I guess what piece of history do you want to see rediscovered?
1: Hmm. Lost media. I really, there's a lot of it because I deal with lost media a ton. Body Wars doesn't have, I think Body Wars lost a lot of its media if I remember correctly.
0: Yeah, I think so. I think it was, uh, making of me that had like still had the projectors there and everything for it. But I don't, we don't, we don't know what happened with body. Hey, Wars. do you I remember
1: have... that really bad crossover we did on body Wars? Um, yeah. <laughs> do you remember how we started it? That really cliche YouTube. Play? Oh yeah.
0: Dude, I already made this video. What yeah, are you doing? I know. I, I, at, the, t- sketch. at the time, I just remember.
1: at the time, I feel it was less of a meme. But it was it
0: was still bad. <laughs> yeah. Just remember that next time you guys want to talk about how great early Defunct Land was, okay? Just remember yeah, remember, remember little, when we did the uh,
1: yeah, the little bit where we did a. Uh, I already did this. Oh well.
0: <laughs> no, Jack, you did it on the Wonders Life Pavilion. Mine's on Body Wars. Oh, Okay.
1: <laughs> I love it. I love it so much. Um. Yeah. So what was the question about? Oh, yeah, the lost media. So Body Wars, Back to the Future there's there's a bunch of stuff I would say uh, if I could think of TV shows I really I mean there's so many Bear in the Big Blue House I want all that media back I want the pilot of Bear in the Big Blue House I want the original Muppet Show episodes that didn't make it to air I think they exist somewhere I'm sure they exist somewhere but not available where like Kermit had a love interest that they cut out after the first few episodes that wasn't Miss Piggy it was just stuff like that I there's so much that's a good question but there's just too much to name what about you? Do you yeah. have any piece of lost media you really want back? Um, I mean the lottery, need- the lottery starring Bette Midler is available. So what else do we need?
0: Yeah, really. I don't. I think there's there's stuff that like I want to say is lost, but you can probably get it somewhere. It's just not like on Netflix or easy access to buy. Uh, we need George Lopez. I need that full TV show because I cannot find that anywhere. Good times with George Lopez and uh, and Max Headroom. We need that that show back because I cannot find it. You only find clips on YouTube, Max Headroom. So, we're still looking. We're still looking. Well, it'll come up one day. I would have thought he had a little had a little resurgence. He was in Pixels. He was. He had like a a return. I think in like 2015 with the the same actor and everything. So I would have thought that would get a, a re release or something. But no. So we're gonna wait.
1: That was the weirdest answer you could have possibly given. Why
0: you don't like George Lopez and Max
1: Headroom? Uh, it was. <laughs> <laughs> those are
0: the next two defunct TV episodes, by yeah, the right, way. So, yeah. everybody look out for those.
1: Yeah, absolutely. George Lopez. <laughs> oof. Okay, what's next?
0: Dude, don't oof, George Lopez. Okay, the next one is from Noah C, and that is about how long does it take to complete a single defunct land video?
1: Oh my gosh. It depends. Usually, forever, obviously. Um, writing can take usually a week if I, if I sit down and dedicate myself to it and I want to, I'm going I'm to get this episode done. I can get it done in about mm, 30 working hours of dedication. So that might be three, 10 hour days of me just sitting there and just not doing anything else. Or, you know, it could be seven 30 divided by seven days. I don't know. So, yeah, it could be like that. It depends. Uh, Narration usually takes about an hour, and then I send it to Nate, and who knows how long it takes him, but he gets it back to me, and then I um, go on with my life of editing. And editing, I can edit at a rate of about an hour per finished minute. Um, So, a 40-minute episode would take... 40 hours, but the longer the episode gets, the more each minute takes. So if I was just doing three minutes, I could get that done in four hours tops. But since I do 40 minutes, if I need to like rewatch that to make sure, okay, this is good to publish. That's 40 minutes. Yeah. That's an incredible amount of time to just review a video.
0: And like, Yeah. That's one thing that always gets kind of overlooked, but yeah, just the length of a video that needs to be watched at least at the very least, maybe like 10 times. Yeah. Like throughout the whole editing process. After you're
1: done. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Yeah. Before you need to upload it, when you're checking it to make sure you don't have any like weird little hiccups or edits or or glitches in the actual, you know, video once it's rendered. So yeah, that eats up a lot of time. And I I would wager that if you could get like a full statistical breakdown of how much time is spent like working on a video, that would be a surprising little number. It's a, a two parter and it's either going to be a very long answer for the first one, or it's going to be one word. So we'll do that one first. Is the VR experience still in development? Yes. Okay. Well, there we go. Short answer. And the, the second part of that question is also I saw in the earlier episodes of defunct TV they end in these CG recreations of old sets and stuff like that, like big, um, big blue house and Zabumafu, zabumafu's palace left behind slash abandoned but eventually they stopped appearing why is that
1: zabumafu's palace um They oh. saw so to <laughs> play <laughs> <laughs> welcome to yeah. zabumafu's palace hey yo what's know, he up so, my name's Zabumafu, It's my palace he's so royal welcome okay. to my crib <laughs> um yeah so the reason we don't do those VR, those virtual recreations and those endings anymore is because nobody liked them enough for us to justify the time and money it t- cost me. Um, and two, and more importantly, is because eventually we got to doing episodes that were either like Dragon Tales. How are we supposed to what, supposed to make a 3D set out of a 2D animation? Um, or Ubi, which had no recognizable set at all. And I don't think you wanted us to see a bunch of I guess we could have just like put like some random bare room with a bunch of like googly eyes like on the floor, but that would have been creepy. Um, I, I I don't know I don't know what uh what to do with some of those episodes, so we just abandoned it out because I said okay after after we get done with um Jim Henson, we'll go back to Defunct TV, but we won't do those virtual recreations anymore, and maybe everyone will forget. But clearly they haven't. So good eye,
0: yeah. Gryllus the pig did not forget. So. Good eye, buddy. All right, next one, Kyle Amy. This is a play on the classic uh, game, "Mary Kill and Change" for the following three rides: Everest, Flight of Passage, and Spaceship Earth.
1: Mary Spaceship Earth. That Amazing. is a smart, knowledgeable, sturdy, just a reliable, reliable, um, consistent, um, determined, beautiful, uh, o- optimistic partner and you can't ask for anything better than that Uh what's my other ones I don't get uh, a I Everest? don't get a do any of them right
0: no we we, we forego that with change which is just as insulting so Everest and Blight of passage for kill and change
1: change Everest fix the Yeti, obviously okay and then I guess kill flight of passage but I'm, yeah, not, I'm is, not I'm not is, happy is. about it I like flight of passage
0: well, it is nice, but it's like if you're going to kill the most soulless one, like that's the one to go with. Yeah, I mean... You know what I mean? It's not the biggest loss.
1: It's it's a very... I mean, there's a lot of soul in the ride. But, yeah, but like even still. But in as far as the impact it's had. It's been great for uh, numbers, but I think... I don't know. I think uh, in the hearts of people, that's a great ride, but in the hearts... Like that's the ride that I honestly... Flight of Passage have changed the game. And that, that, I don't think I've ever heard a single Disney ride since maybe like, you know, Tower of Terror, like that caliber, get that great word of mouth. Like the amount people go back to the Midwest and go, or go back to the South, or not the South, but go back to like anywhere in the country and say, you got to go to Disney World. There's this new crazy ride, Flight of Passage. Like it, or go to Avatar Land. It's just an insane amount of positive word of mouth.
0: Did you see the Joe Rogan clip where he said that that was the best ride? Everybody called it flights of passion.
1: Yes. <laughs> I don't watch Joe Rogan, but that got sent to me somehow.
0: <laughs> yeah, that is, uh, well, it goes back to what you were saying. Just the fact that people not in the Disney world, you know, they kind of, they really, it, it broke out beyond that, you know? So, and this, yeah, but, especially... but,
1: but, but that said, I don't think it had as much impact within The Disney community, other than it just being an enjoyable ride versus Expedition Everest or Spaceship Earth, which is just so held closely within the theme park sphere.
0: Yeah. And I do believe both of those other two are better attractions than Flight of Passage as well, just on their own, even with Broken Yetis and on the brink of extinction for Spaceship Earth and both of those. So, listen, that's just my opinion. Okay. Sorry.
1: All right. What's next? Tina Marie
0: asks. What part of video production is your favorite slash least favorite?
1: Every single part is both my favorite and least favorite. Um, I will say my my least favorite is definitely recording. It's a horrible, sweaty, disgusting process. You have to turn off all the air conditioning. You have to turn off everything. Uh, Lights, you're just in the dark and you are stiff and you are thirsty. And it's just a horrible experience every time. Mm Mm-hmm. And the only reason it comes out sounding good is because of my fantastic audio editor, Nate Beagle. But uh, my favorite part is releasing the video. Like, is publishing it. Um, Not just because it's done, but just to get that reaction. I just love that initial... People, just having at least one person say, like, oh, thank gosh you released today. Like, I really wanted... I really needed this today. I'm like, okay, well... You know, I worked all day and somebody... I give somebody like 20 minutes or 30 minutes of like some relaxation. If they had a hard day, like that's, that's good enough. Even if that, even if every other person's like, you're a communist because I talked about a union or something.
0: (laughs) Well, you know, it's, it's, it's the little things that really count. So
1: thank you, comrade for saying that.
0: Okay. Now I'm looking for the next. Okay. Next question is from Dave Pollack which is how are you able to locate all the early footage and history? Does it take quite a bit of researching? We already did that one. I feel like
1: we did a very similar one, but thank you for the question. It's
0: double tap. So thanks, Dave. Really appreciate that. Okay. The real next question is from Matt, and that is, how much do episodes change from planning and research to production? Have you ever had to change plans to do something you learned while researching?
1: Hmm. So I changed things up until the last day. As far as the content goes, I will re-record videos, and if sometimes I'm bad at it, so have fun going back. The worst one is "Tales of the Okie Finoki," because that one was recorded on the road, and it's not only not my best audio recording, but the difference between the pickups, like the one the lines I've had to redo, hmm. and the original recording is so apparent that you will it'll be like this. It'll be like. Six Flags, Georgia or whatever it is. Six Flags, Atlanta opened on, you know, blah, 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 blah. And then I'll be like, and then Tales of the Okie Fanokie opened a few weeks later. And then I'll go back and be like, and then like it's so like apparent that there's a difference. Um, But uh, yeah, so I'll do it up to the last minute. It gets to the point where I start to get cold feet about certain facts. And I'll hear things over and over again. I usually catch things every once in a while. There'll be something that slips. Like I accidentally said that like Valley Fair was in the wrong state than it was. And I'm not going to say how I got it wrong because I know I'm just going to get it wrong again. Um, but uh, and stuff like that will go over my head. But like in this last episode, the Walt's Field Day episode, I was like, OK, uh, I said something like, you know, Walt Disney, uh, all, most of his staff were older than him, or were younger than him. Or no, I said most of his staff were younger than 25. And then I did some research and I I didn't find that fact again. I don't know why, like because I usually I vet myself so well when I'm writing. But then I remember I'm like, you know what? I don't know if I ever found that specific fact to be absolutely true. And so I went back and then I was like, nope, I cannot find for certain that most of his staff was younger than him or, or was below 25 or whatever it was. And so I was like, fine, I'm just going to go back and quickly record and say many of his staff and because that is true and so just like changing most to many turns something that could have been wrong into something that was true and that stuff like that changes constantly and it's very much in 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 flow that way things will be removed entire you know 30 seconds can be removed from a video 30 seconds can be added to a video of just me saying oh i need pacing better here or, i could really use this story or i find something at the last minute that's just so good that i just have to include it so definitely can change up a lot
0: yeah, just about all that's true for me, too. So I guess it's a pretty standard uh, editing process when it comes to making videos.
1: I'm glad Jack's here to take all the special uniqueness of my process and just say, yep, that's standard. Anyways, next question. He
0: really thinks he's so awesome, dude. Listen, we're all the same, okay? <laughs> One big human family. All right, next question is from Tim Ratray. Once again, sorry if I'm getting these names wrong. What was your process for plotting out a season built around the story of Walt Disney? Did the concept come first or was it birthed from separate topics you already wanted to cover?
1: The concept came first. I wanted to tell the story of the, the idea, the birth and, and, uh, death of the idea of progress. And Walt Disney is the main figure in this because he basically capitalized on the word the same way Disney has successfully capitalized on the word magic. Walt Disney himself successfully capitalized on the word progress, but he didn't invent it. In the in, the, of course, he didn't make the word up. But he also didn't invent progress in the sense that it was. So I'm telling the history of him creating Disneyland because it's integral to his eventual belief that he should create an experimental prototype city. It was a you know. But I'm also telling you know him as a person, who he was, and so. I come into all this together and I basically map out the story that starts with the World's Fair, because I have to start with the World's Fair to tell the history of Epcot and the idea of progress. Well, it just so happens that Walt Disney's father uh, was a carpenter at the original uh, 1893 Columbian World Exposition. That's nice. Well, after that, then we can follow, you know, that's we can bring him in throughout and then at the very end reveal, oh, this is Walt Disney's father. Then we follow Walt Disney's father to Marsley, Missouri, where we'll talk about Electric Park then Walt Disney happens to visit the 1933 Century of Progress Fair, which is where the idea of progress came into the mainstream. So we'll just tell the story of the Century of Progress Fair because that's when Walt Disney goes. And so it's not necessarily me saying, oh, I want to do this, want to do that. I have this idea that I want to follow. And then I kind of follow where the story goes because there's a thousand other episodes that I'm choosing not to do. Like I'm choosing not to do an episode about, I choose to do an episode on Walt's Field Day which is all studio stuff. But it comes at a very important time that I feel like we need to take a break from our narrative to focus on Walt Disney. Because before that, you know, we had been kind of following the myth of Walt Disney and we had been building up the myth. So we built up, you know, his father was a carpenter at the World's Fair and then he was on a newspaper route and he fought in world, he was an ambulance driver in World War One, and then blah, blah, blah. And it's like this, oh, it's the myth again. And it's like, oh, and he found, he had a mouse that jumped on his drawing desk. And, was, and that's how he came up with Mickey Mouse. And he, you know, he went to this fair and blah, blah, blah. So then I was like, hey, this is a perfect point in the season because timeline wise and also me knowing what the next few episodes are going to be. It's a perfect point in the season to stop, you know, beating around the Walt Disney bush and just go straight into who he was at this point in time and what he does and did, whether you think it's good, whether you think it's bad. This is just what he I included direct quotes from him. This is some of his belief. As far as the idea of progress that he's going to later present, I think the line, the line is something like, um, uh, and don't forget this. It's the law of the universe that the good shall survive and the weak shall fall by the way. And I don't give a damn what type of idealistic plan is cooked up. Nothing can change that, which really puts into perspective all that. We're looking brightly toward tomorrow, um, that comes much later, um, So yeah, so as far as mapping out the season, you know, I have the entire season mapped out, but it's always changing where I say, okay, you know what, because of the pacing of this, I think this would work better here. And because, you know, maybe an episode that I said, we don't need that episode. Um, And so right now it's pretty simple because it's, it's a lot of planning and a lot of, you know, I have to make sure I mention this in episode two, because this really pays off in episode four, or, you know, I have to mention this in episode one, because that's the whole point of the series. And, you know, it's really going to come through in episode, you know, 22. But there are also time. This this is rather more simple because it's so linear right now, um, because we're going from World's Fair in 1893 to Disney in 19 the 1900 early 1900s, then to Century Progress in 1933, then to Walt's Field Day in 1938. We're following a linear path, but the season, um, in a few episodes, is going to break from that linear path and go backwards. And that's when it's going to be more tricky. And we'll see how I pull that off, if I do it correctly or not. So anyways, but yeah, there's a lot of planning that goes into it.
0: Well, it definitely uh, definitely shows in terms of it being kind of a uniform, long format story spread out over a season rather than, you know, individual little stories in, in separate videos. So. Thank you. We love it. Okay. The next question is from Nicholas G. And he says, How do you know when you have enough research for a video, and is there such thing as too much research?
1: It's very rare that I say to myself, oh, I have too much here. It actually wasn't until these most recent seasons in the Jim Henson series that I had to deal with that problem. Because you got to think that with a lot of these attractions, there's not that much info to begin with, so you're scraping for information. You're just wanting to get information, you know, you get into some of the more well-documented ones like horizons, and then you have to decide how much you really want to talk about the exact smell of the scent, you know, and stuff like that. Like, uh, I don't need to talk about that that much, or, you know, how much do I really need to talk about the day that animatronic, um, broke down and was fixed a week later because this one fan site calculate, like, you know, put it out there that that, that happened that week. Um, you know, that's that little stuff is so easy because it's so obvious. But with something like the 1893 Columbians Exposition, which is such a huge episode and it's it, so books and books and, you know, documentaries are on this thing. And, you know, so many things of that nature of this one thing. It's, you know, very difficult to decide. And so and I talked about this on I think a recent podcast that I did, but, you know, the um my the way I tell. The people that if you know write for me or the way I I go about writing myself as I say is this necessary to the story yes or no does a story lose any emotional impact because of this does the story uh does the pacing get messed up uh does characterization go away does the understanding or the comprehension is this helping with that because documentaries are a lot different than narratives and that comprehension and audience retention is super important um as far as because with like a narrative film um we give so much you know leeway i don't know if we talked jack did we talk about this with uh in this episode no i don't know maybe we talked maybe we talked about this before um maybe i'm just misremembering but with narrative films or maybe this was with uh someone else regardless in narrative films i can show you a completely random scene With characters you've never seen before and when people watch narrative films it goes back to how we're talking about film making language being so clear before i can show you a random scene and you might say to yourself who are these people i haven't seen this before but for the most part audiences know that if i'm showing you something in a narrative there's a reason like because we wrote this thing out and like it's a part of the plan and this will come back later but with with documentaries that's not necessarily the case if i just start talking about something completely different or get something, go way off track, you'll lose the audience because they're not used to seeing documentaries in that way. So you get in this this conflict of, you got to make sure that's not happening, but at the same time, you got to keep their attention and you got to keep them thinking and you got to keep them engaged. It's very easy to do that. If you have good characters, the Heim brothers were really like interesting enough characters to last that episode, or at least started. And, um, you know, the Burnham, or the, the president, the vice president, the Dawes brothers in episode three or blah, blah, blah. So all these people or Walt and all of his animators in episode four. So then once you get the characters down, you can kind of consolidate it. So that, that's the first thing. Is this necessary for the story? And sometimes the answer is no, but that doesn't mean I cut it out. I then ask myself, okay, maybe it's not necessary, but is something added here? Is it entertaining? I add entertaining stuff all the time that has nothing to do with this episode just because it's so damn entertaining that I'll look for any excuse to include it. And I'm sure you do this too. I know you do this.
0: Yeah, just little things to throw in there. And it, like I said, even if it doesn't uh, directly relate, there's usually a way to talk about it where you can still kind of relate it back to what it's what what the video topic is about. And if not, it's just a little aside. There's also a way to talk about it where uh, it's not going to mess up the flow of the video or it's just a little, you know, just a little... I don't know. Side comment about it,
1: and if if it's not, and so the answer is if it's not relevant and it's not entertaining, cut it out. Yeah, and usually. so that's that's my usual rule of thumb, and that does cut out a lot of stuff because sometimes I'll ask myself, "Is this relevant?" No. Is this exceedingly entertaining? Also no. So sometimes things are interesting but not entertaining.
0: Yeah.
1: And that's All right. that's a sign of something to cut.
0: Next up, we've got Cody Bishop and he says, do you think Disney will introduce a fifth gate anytime soon?
1: Whew, fifth gate anytime soon. Um, no, I hope not. I hope they just start in doing, they need to do more with the parks they have. And I think they're, I, this is a longer discussion. I think Disney's making some huge missteps. But I'm also super biased, and I also think I know more than I actually do sometimes about this topic. Um, Disney is following the trend of these big budget blockbuster attractions without doing the legwork of let's add some C tickets. And I talked about this on Twitter the other day. But at the you know you have this huge issue now where you have, well, oh, we spent two billion dollars and six years and we got two attractions with a capacity with a combined capacity of a little more than the haunted mansion <laughs> you know that's uh that's not good you know what i mean it's
0: especially not good when it's star wars or you know some yeah, gigantic we're... ip that it doesn't need to be you're going to get that attention regardless just because of the fact that you're disney and also it's supposedly this super innovative ride yeah. it's going to get that attention if it's not related to the IP, so you don't need that little extra. That only makes it kind of worse in terms of overcrowding and getting too many people interested.
1: So my my very quick thought on this is you know, you know, is Rise of the Resistance the best attraction I've ever been on? Yes. It's amazing. Am I glad that it's created? Absolutely. I can't believe it was created. Is it going to probably hurt the parks as far as general enjoyability for a decade to come? I believe so, but we'll see. I could be wrong. I hope I am. Anyways, what's the next question? we got to wrap this thing up.
0: Okay, we've only got three more questions. Okay, let's do it. We can get get through these pretty quick. Uh, How do you get the concept of an episode to begin with? Like, how do you decide what attractions are worthy of an episode? And how do defunct attractions come your way?
1: I basically have heard of every defunct attraction ever, thanks to everyone commenting them. And then it becomes a matter of, is there a story here? The answer to that is, there's always a story here. It just depends, is this story interesting at this time? can I do something else that I find a little bit more interesting stuff like that. So, yeah. well, so I mean, it's, it's a matter of, I always believe there's a story everywhere. It's just, is this story something I want to tell right now? Do I think it's interesting? Do I think it, cause you know, you got to kind of fit the, as far as my channel goes, I, I, you know, you could see the progression of like, you know, it's like driving. It's like, you gotta, if we're following a route of tone, does this kind of fit the tone of what I'm doing? It's very easier with these linear stories you know, does this kind of fit the tone of what I've been doing recently? Um, Like with season two, we didn't really have a linear progression, but it was a lot of international parks as well as Michael Eisner's story. So I was like, okay, does this, oh, international park. That's great. That kind of fits the tone of what we've been doing or with like defunct TV. It's like, oh, okay. You know, it's just a children's television show, maybe not puppets, but very similar and in its styles to what, you know, kind of we've been doing. And then of course there's those episodes where you say, okay, I don't care what we've been doing. Let's innovate and see if we can, go in a different direction. See how that goes. And that's what called Eastern Airlines. And it was one of the most hated episodes. <laughs> I was just kidding. Um, but yeah, so yeah, it's as far as finding topics, very easy. Everyone's already commented on all of them. Thank you, everyone. Well, regardless, you've got a, a certain
0: style, you know, and that kind of helps pick out which ones you want to do too. even minus it being part of a linear storyline or anything like that, especially with the standalone episodes of season one and two. So that probably helps as well.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Awesome. What are the last two? Let's
0: wrap these up. Okay, R.J. Morrison, are you worried that the themed attraction bubble has grown in the past decade, or that has grown in the past decade will burst? I feel the amount of themed experience has increased at an enormous rate from what it was just ten years ago, with stuff like escape rooms and VR.
1: Absolutely not! It's the future. I think that's hmm. that's the absolute that's the future. It's going to be crazy. The like future. the Star Wars
0: Hotel, your everything. It's, it's going to
1: be it's going to be the future. I promise.
0: Well, like Rob says, Theemed, we're themed entertainment for West is. World
1: themed we're going to look back and this isn't to you know make fun of your question um or anything i i it's a good question um i and i also don't know the actual answer but i feel like we're going to look back on this and the people that used to say oh tv's never going to last that's how it's going to sound when we say stuff like oh if this themed entertainment bubble will burst i hope that's the case partly because i made a living at the moment off of talking about that bubble so hopefully it doesn't burst Hmm. all right last question
0: final question Andrew Tan, what attraction park do you secretly wish would go defunct for the sole purpose of being able to produce a video?
1: Easy question, fly to passage, because I really want to talk about the Harry Potter Avatar Land rivalry. I want to talk about the development of that land. I don't want that attraction to go defunct necessarily just to do that. Um, but I think if it did, I would have a really fun time exploring that history because that's very Iger era drama
0: so you're on my side you want flight of passage gone yeah absolutely we have different
1: we have different reasons reasons uh, okay. yeah sure yeah well jack thank you so much for joining me and helping me out with this of course and everyone go check out keep epcot weird it's the best series on youtube right now i promise i watch it I watched every episode at least three times i really love it um and go go support jack on patreon so he keeps doing uh, his work and um it's uh if you haven't if you're not watching it you're wrong it's really really good seriously so uh and yeah so jack thanks for coming on and everyone listening thank you for listening look forward to our four imagineers coming up in february don't forget to rate review and subscribe to the podcast and thank you for visiting defunct land